part three, and let's go right to it. We basically uh, summarized the um, beginning of the previous Shabbos Mimer, mm-hmm. um, and how uh, the purpose of creation is for Hashem to be revealed in this world, Hashem to have a home, and uh, the way this is achieved is by building him a tabernacle, each of us building, making our home a place for Hashem. And what is our tabernacle made out of? It's made out of a similar ingredient that the original temple was made out of. It's made out of atzei shitim, out of wood from shitim. What does wood from shitim mean? Shitim, we said, means foolishness. And although we may be predisposed, our, our alignment may be off, and we're uh, inclined to do things which are below logic and reason, but Hashem wants us to take that energy and to transform it and to serve Him beyond logic and reason. And this is the uh, ingredient that will make a home for Hashem because the uh, boards that uh, form the tabernacle, those, the Hebrew word for boards, keresh, can be... uh, changed around to form the word sheker, which means falsehood. So we're supposed to take the lie of the world, the lie that the world says, I am, and uh, to transform this to a keresh, to a, to a, uh, to a godly place, to, make, to be something that becomes a board, something that becomes a vessel for godliness, a board in God's temple. Take the lie of the world and turn it into a board is something that houses godliness. Okay. So that continues down the second section of the Maimur, in order that the Jewish people should be able to fulfill this mission, to fulfill this task, and not just to fulfill it, but to fulfill it perfectly. In order to do this, Hashem gives us His treasure house. What this means is, because of the foolishness, because of the lie of the world, there could be something that God forbid opposes Hashem. Hashem made the world in a way that it, Hashem, the world lies, the world has foolishness, and there could be, therefore there could be a, something, an entity in the world that opposes Hashem, God forbid. And then there is a, this opposition, the godliness arouses, so to speak, God's attribute of victory. Netzach Yisrael Yishakeh. It says about Hashem, that Hashem is eternal, and He will not lie. It doesn't say anything which isn't true. But this also, the word eternal also means victory. Netzach is the same root as the word, as the word Lenatzeach, to be victorious. So this opposition to godliness actually arouses God's attribute of victory. As the previous Shabbat gives a parable for this. In his discourse, parables from a king, a human king, without there being any opposition, you cannot talk about victory. And he just runs his kingdom as he desires. But when there is something he wants to do, and there's something that opposes this, that arouses his his victory and in him, and he becomes victorious in battle. The reason for this, in the analog is, so that's why it is by human king. The reason, the reason for this is, by Hashem is because the desire of Hashem is that the human king, a human kingdom, should be in this similar mirror and should mirror the kingdom of heaven. Hashem wants that 
there should be that the kings in this world, the way their monarchy runs, should be similar to he runs his kingdom. He is the king of the world. And their monarchy, Hashem wanted, should be that a human king should have a similar manner to the kingdom of heaven. And since in heaven, God, so to speak, is aroused with an attribute of victory because of the opposition, this also causes that the same thing to happen by a human king. That when there is someone who wars against him and fights against him, so the human king also mirrors Hashem and he also has this attribute of victory. And this arousal of victory completely changes the entire being of the king and reveals his deepest strengths. The hidden strengths that the king had are revealed when he has to, when he feels, I need to win this war. He becomes a different person. He reveals his inner strength that he never knew before, and he becomes a different person. And not only does he reveal his own inner strength, but more, for the sake of winning the, 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 the war, the king gives away all of his treasure houses. Not just they give them away, but um, he gives them away very freely, very, like, easily, very, um, like, I think the word in English is he squanders them. No, he, like, it's, it's like, he doesn't reckon mm-hmm. with the usual system. What's the usual system? The usual system is that there are these treasure houses that he has gathered in his lifetime. And not only he has gathered, but his ancestors have gathered. And these treasures are so precious to him and not only, won't he, won't, not, not only will, he not, will he not squander them, but he won't even use them. And, and there are some treasures that no one has ever seen because the king doesn't use them at all. And, in, and no one he doesn't want anyone to know about them. And yet, when the attribute of victory is inspired in him because of some opposition, not only will he reveal those treasures, not only will he use those treasures, but he will give them away freely, that calculation, and he gives them through the officers of the army for the sake of the soldiers of the army, in order that they should go out to war and they should achieve victory, that the king should be victorious. That's the way it is by a human king. And so too is it true in the analog, there are the treasures of Hashem, the treasures of the Ein Sof Baruch Hu, the treasures of Hashem, which are steam and the Chostimen, they are hidden beyond all other hidden things. It means we're talking about le- levels of godliness that are are beyond beyond everything. That not, that they're completely hidden. Beginning with the first treasure of Hashem, the lowest level, of treasure, which is also called the treasure of Hashem, is a treasure of the fear of heaven, the treasure of the sphere of Malchus. Our ability to have a fear of Hashem, just to feel a sort of subservience to Hashem, which stems from God's attribute of sovereignty, that's what we could feel Hashem as our king, that is Hashem's treasure, that's, that's called uh, one of Hashem's treasure houses. And then there are deeper and higher levels of which are, which are called God tre- God's treasures, until we have the highest level, which is called the true treasure of Hashem. As the previous Rebbe brings in his Mimer the statement of the Tukun that we learned in the intro to the Mimer, the infinite light of Hashem is high beyond all, beyond any any limit, and extends lower without any limits. This is the true treasure. This is 
this is the, the highest level, the level, highest revelation of godliness. How Hashem is infinite higher beyond any limit, and his, his light also extends lower without any limit. And this treasure, this, this light of Hashem, this infinite light of Hashem, he gives to all of the people who are involved in the war effort. Every, who are the people involved in the war effort? Every single Jew who is called Sivas Hashem, a member in God's army. As it says in the uh, Torah, in the previous Torah portion, um, the Parshish Bo, in the year that we said the Smimer, in 1983, Parshish Bo was before Yitzhak, he said that the legions of God left the land of Egypt and the word legions of God also means the armies of God. So the Jewish people are called the armies of God. And how did they leave, leave the, the exile? They left beyond Ramah. They left with pride. They left with their heads up. As it says in the beginning of Parshat Peshalach. So the Jewish people are called God's army. And they go from darkness of the exile, this exile, to redemption. And... The, the victory of the infinite light of Hashem happens. The victory of Hashem's uh, victory of Hashem, whose light extends downward without any limit, is is realized. That's that's the um, that's is still part of the um, discourse that um, um, in the first twelve chapters of the previous discourse, they were still summarizing those those uh, chapters. And now there continues in the third chapter of this discourse, and he says. And now we're going to go to the 13th chapter, the chapter which has a relationship to this year um, and this year as well, because again, this is the fourth time we are studying Basilagani, and this is the 13th chapter in Basilagani. So it says in the 13th chapter, which is connected to this year, when we're learning the, the, the 13th chapter the second time, that the idea of Hashem's infinite light is descending without any limit. That just like there is no limit into how, how high Hashem's light goes, so too there's no limit into how low his light goes. But this is refers to, says the previous Rebbe, the multitudes of levels in God's light, how it descends from world to world and level to level until it reaches the lowliest worlds, the worlds of Bria Yitzira Asiya, the lowest three worlds. Hashem's light descends and descends until it reaches the lowest three worlds. And in within these lowest three worlds, it descends further, and it and it comes more contracted, more concealed, until it is able to become something that is completely opposite of the opposite of Galenus. In other words, a God's infinite light is able to create something that opposes Galenus, which is called Klippa, the Sitra and not just to create any kind of Klippa. You know about the Fabrengan between Reuben and, and, and Lippa, right? And Lippa? Yeah, Reuben and Lippa were Fabrengan. And Reuben says to Lippa, you know, Klippa, the Siddhas talks about evil, it's only kill Lippa, it's only like Lippa. Uh-huh. But you're Lippa himself. Yeah. All right. So, there could be, the, there is the lowest form of Klippa. Lowest form of Klippa, it's a joke, because there's a Kuf, not a Chaf. Yeah. Chaf, Lippa means like Lippa, Klippa just means Klippa. Anyways, so I got to be there. Anyway, so the clip of Pare is the lowest kind of clip. And the clip of Pare is a clip which says, I made the river and I made myself. Not just 
the, the Pari opposed godliness, but Pari completely rejected the whole notion of godliness. And then the, the um, Rebbe says that we should, we should learn an analogy from the way godliness descends in this world. Just like godliness descends by there being a contraction and more contractions and more contractions until it creates a Pari, so too is this true in a human being. That the way a person descends, God forbid, it starts with him turning off. He may turn off a tiny bit, like a hair's breadth. Just turn off a tiny bit from the intent of God. And then he goes lower and lower until he gets enveloped in all kinds of lusts and passions, kosher ones, until he goes lower than kosher ones, things which are not kosher, the opposite of kosher. And in that itself, in non-kosher lusts and passions, there are many levels within that. First, he could go into those things because he wants to satisfy his lust. Right. And then he could go further until he becomes a re- someone who rebels against God. He do- he's doing this not because it satisfies him, just because he wants to anger God. So since Hashem, the Torah says, put the world in our hearts, so there is a similar phenomenon in us, in the world, that Hashem's there, besides there being holy worlds, there's also the descent of God's light to create worlds which, which are uh, the opposite of holiness. And that itself, on many levels, there is first the kosher items in the world, klipas nega. They're not godly items, not holy items, but they're just, they're, they're called klipas nega. Klipas nega means it's, it's, it is a concealment, but there's still a little bit of light there as well. So a kosher item, it could be used for the sake of Hashem, it could not be used for the sake of Hashem. It's a parif, but it's not, it's not godly. It's, it also has an identity outside of godliness. It's, it's perceived as something that is not godly. It lies. Klippas Neka lies and says, I am. I'm kosher, but I am. Just because it's kosher doesn't mean it's godly. So that's one kind of descent. Then there's a further descent to create the three lower klippas, which is a source of all non-kosher things. And that itself has the, the three impure klippas also have many levels. Until we have the lowest of the low, the clipper of I made the river and I made myself the rebellion against the king of all kings. So the reason, so, so just like God's light starts with a little, or a major contraction, and goes lower and lower, so too in ourselves, a, the, we don't know where we're going, they was saying, when we make that first initial um, mistake. We, when we veer off of God's intent for us, Maybe it might be a tiny bit, but that's could lead lower and lower, just like God's light is in lower and lower and lower. That's like a hill there. Yeah. One old slide. Yeah, exactly. So we need to con- we need to understand. Never continues in the fourth chapter of the discourse. What's the reason? The previous Rebbe is so detailed about the light of God descending so low. Why is he going so into the concealment of God? There are two, not just the previous Rebbe, but also in the Eitz Chaim. He has two sections, which he calls gates. Two sections which talk about the lowest of the low. The, low, the lowest level called Klippa. And within Klippa, within this evil, the lowest level of evil. And also in the Zohar, we find in Parshat Pakude a great lengthy discussion, infinitely downwards, in things which completely oppose Galilee's. Why talk about such ugly stuff is, is the basic question. Why talk about such ichi stuff? Why are you going so into 
the concealment of elements. So you might want to answer, Rebbe says, since God looked in the Torah created the world, so in order that there should be the creation of all the different details of, of the opposite of holiness, for whatever reason that God wanted, because of some hidden reason known to God, so in order for there to be the creation of those, of those, op, those unholy things, the Torah is a blueprint for creation, and therefore, this had to start with the Torah, that all of those things, with all their details, the details of those details, had to first be in the Torah, in order for it to exist. So that's, that, that is true, that they had to be first in the Torah. But that itself has a purpose. Why is it that that's a system? Why is a system that Hashem creates the world through the Torah? Why is the Torah the blueprint for creation? Why is it the first has to be the existence of the Klippah as they are in Torah and from there to create their actual, um, actual evil? Why is that the, the protocol? This itself, the fact that the existence of Klippah is formed by Hashem looking at the Torah to create the Klippah in order to fulfill God's intent as the Talmud says, that whatever God created in the world, why did God create whatever he created in the world? What's the purpose of anything he created in the world? It's for his glory. As we were discussing yesterday, Abner writes in a letter about um, someone who had some kind of issue with their foot. Abner writes to them that uh, um, the, the uh, pain, the first experience in the foot, may... Everything in the physical world has a divine source. They're told, well, this person, you have to look at the things in Kabbalah, which are related to the feet, and focus on those things and fix those things. That will also fix the ailment in your foot. That's never told this person. Of course, don't try this at home. Uh, you could try to do those things. I've said spiritually at home, but you don't know if those things will also fix your foot. Anyways, so Nebuchadnezzar says two things in Kabbalah which are compared to the feet are tzedakah. It says in the Torah, tzedakah, tzedakah will elevate the nation, and Altavis says, just like our feet elevate our body, when we give stokka, it causes our heart and mind to become a thousand times more pure. Stokka elevates us. And also, another thing which is, which is connected to the foot is our faith in God. And in regarding our faith in God, David goes into great length in this letter, and he says, faith in God doesn't just mean that you also believe in God. Faith in God means that that becomes the basis of how you look at things. That that's your perspective, that that's your attitude. So that if you if you you're looking at divine providence, and you're saying to yourself, I don't, I don't see the uh, how this fits in with Hashem's plan, you're, you're bothered, and you say this must have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Until you figure out what this has to do with God's plan, you're not satisfied because you know that the basis for every experience is God's plan. Doesn't mean you always get the answer, but you're not satisfied with any any interpretation of any event until it has to do something with God's plan. So, um, so the purpose of everything is to fulfill God's intent. God created the world for His glory, and that's why Shem explains the verse. Says in the Torah, in Tehillim, in David says, "Turn away from evil and do good." Says the Baal Shem what does it mean turn away from evil and do good? Says Baal Shem when it says turn away from evil, turn away from evil is just step one. Turn away from evil is just step one. That's the first step. But the, the, the ultimate way of serving God is not just to turn away from evil, but to take the evil itself and make it good. So the literal translation of the verse is turn away from evil and then do something else called good. But the Al-Shantav says, first, your first step of serving God is stay away from evil. 
The second step, the higher level, is take that same evil itself and use it for good. Transform the evil to good. Trans- transform the darkness to light, the bitterness to sweetness. Or in the language of the halacha, transform the sins on a purpose until they are mitzvahs. The, 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 the Zohar, the Gemara, the story about a long, long story about this harlot who was trying to seduce someone, and the end was that this harlot herself uh, converted and became a very righteous woman, and she married the same person that she was trying to seduce before. So the same uh, bed and the same blankets that she used when she was trying to seduce him to do a sin, she used those same blankets and sheets when they were allowed to be together. And this is an eternal lesson that says to every Jew, this story in the Talmud, that a Jew has the power to transform bad to good. And as the Alta writes in Tanya, the Hashem wants to have a home in the lowest realm, in a realm that, that is lower than any other. And that means, when he says a realm that's lower than any other, that in this, in this discussion about God's light extending without any limit, the lowest of levels. And in that place itself, the lowest and lowest of levels, is to make a home for Hashem there too. And to transform it to good. We need to understand though there asks. We pray every day and we ask God every day, don't let me, don't give me any challenges. And God fulfills our requests. So how can we demand from every single Jew to be involved in the lowest of the lowliest, lowliest things? Doesn't, don't we ask Hashem, don't bring us to places of challenge. Especially because the Zohar says that when God told Moshe bin to go to Paro, Rabbi Shimon says, doesn't say go to Paro, it actually says come to Paro. And Hashem told Moshe was afraid to go to Paro. Until Hashem himself said, come with me to Paro, and we'll go r- deep within the palace, a room within a room. And th- so Moshe was, was afraid to be involved with the lowest of the low. Even when God said, come to Paro, he was still afraid. And God agreed with Moshe, and he said, I'm going to go with you. So, but in Kabbalah, it talks about all these details of the lowest of low clip, and it says that that's a role that was given to the soldiers that they have to elevate this lowest low place, but how could that be when we ask Hashem, don't bring us the place of challenge? So that's the question, but meanwhile, uh, we we'll, we'll have to stop here before we get to the answer, but uh, just suffice to say for right now, just a general idea about this question, the previous Rebbe said in the next line of that, of that um, sentence, of that prayer, we say, don't bring us to the place of challenge, don't disgrace us. The previous Rebbe said, don't give us, of course we're going to get challenged, that's part of, the, part of the mission in this world, but don't give us challenges that are going to disgrace us. Let us, let us win these challenges. Let us be in positions where we are able to see and have clarity and, and be victorious in our challenges. So in short, we learned today is like this. We learned that just like Hashem's light descends lower and lower, uh, so too, in ourselves, when we make an initial mistake to go down the wrong direction, God forbid that could lead to the lowest of low levels. And Hashem gives us a tremendous treasure to be victorious against all against evil. This treasure is called the Erin Sof, Mailan, and Ketz, Matan, Tachas, Infinite Light of Hashem. And that empowers us to be victorious in, in battle. And, um, and we concluded with the question. Um, what the question we have is is how is it possible
for uh, demand for every yeah, Jew to. I'm just finishing the last sentence. Uh, how is it possible to demand from every Jew to uh, elevate the lowest of the low levels when Moshe himself was afraid to, uh, to elevate um, those same items? Yes, the Torah itself discusses evil because by discussing evil, it creates evil. And the purpose of, of creating evil is for to transform evil. Fine, the Torah discusses it. But the question is, what, how is it possible that every Jew has a task in transforming evil to good when it seems that this is something that even Meishman was afraid to do? So to be continued. All right, let's stop here. Any questions, comments? All right. Baruch. That's what it takes. God, there's so many evil things in the world.